You're listening to Thinking Biblically. Welcome to Thinking Biblically. My name is Daniel Gilman, and my dad, Alan Gilman, has asked me to be the host for today. My dad is the regular host of the show, and he has had a number of dynamic and diverse guests tackling a whole variety of questions and topics, exploring how to think biblically about those things. Uh, I would like to invite you even right now to subscribe if you haven't already. That way you will receive the notice when uh, there's a new show. And uh, th- my dad, the show is so strong and I so don't want to miss it that I've subscribed myself and I hope you do as well. Well, my dad is the regular host, but today he's the guest and I'm the host because we're going to be doing something a little different today. It's going to be conversations of a father and a son. Uh, even when I called them earlier today to discuss some of the logistics, we dove right into some theological and biblical and uh, variety of questions that I almost wish we had just done as a podcast right in and of itself. Uh, But right now we're going to dive into some questions uh, and it's going to be questions that my dad doesn't know I'm about to bring up. So he's looking a little stressed. I'll invite him if he isn't already on the screen. Uh, This is Alan Gilman. He's a Bible teacher. He's a preacher. He's uh, done a lot of things. And um, most, the thing I'm most thankful for of all the different ministries of his life is that he's my dad. Uh, Dad, welcome back to the show. Thank you for welcoming me back to my own show, Daniel. Hey. Uh, you know, uh, some people may not know that sort of this new version of my podcast was birthed out of our doing a 20-week Old Testament course together where you were the weekly host and uh, you helped uh, start things off and you vetted the the Q&A and we had such a good time together and people really enjoyed that. And so when we started this, we thought, well, it'd be really great to have you on um, somewhat regularly. Uh, we hadn't planned what that format would look like. Um, we we're just surprised as we were talking before that it's been over two months since the last time you were here. And so I've missed you and it's it's great to do this again with you. And uh, the only thing we discussed before coming on uh, today is what what you just said that you've got some things up your sleeve. I don't know what they are what they are. We're gonna try this to do this uncut and see what happens. Sure. So I have a couple of different questions about different different genres. And so if any if any question I ask, we just wrap up real quick, we can move on to another question. But my first stems from a conversation I had with my wife recently. She is in seminary and she was in a church history class and uh, she came to me a little bit rattled. She came to me quite a lot rattled. Said Daniel, I was just reading up on like how we got the Old Testament and the New Testament, and it's just so uncomfortable. It's not as clear cut as I thought it would be. Now this is something that my dad addressed um, more robustly in his class on the Old Testament some months ago. But uh, we can go a few different ways. But as she and I were discussing the reckoning with how it's it's not quite as textbook clear cut as we would like some of these questions about how we got the Bible and why it's these books and not others and and some of this. My first question would be, Dad, this, your life and this podcast is is about thinking biblically and applying the Bible with confidence to our lives and behaviors and thoughts. And how do you, how how do you reconcile some of the, um, questions of uh, where uh, how, how how what what do you do with some of the uncertainties when it comes to and the uncomfortableness that comes from um, re- trying to wrestle with 
uh, how we got the Bible. Right, right. Yeah, so we did handle this in the Old Testament, of course, and because we've mentioned it a couple times already, um, I, I better remember. I'll put the link into the course. The whole 20 weeks is still available for people. Um, so you could check that out as well as and the handouts and everything are still there for people if, if they want to take advantage of that. Um, and uh, you might remember that, you know, I I know a bunch of stuff. I've been around for a little while. Um, I thought I knew uh, more than I did about this topic called the canon of Scripture. The word canon, I believe, comes from the word read, um, not like to read, but like a, a read that grows. And it means our, the rule of something. And it has to do with with the I, the concept of what books are par, should be part of the Bible, as well as what books should not be, because there were other books that some people thought should be in, other people thought they should be out, and still today in in different traditions uh, you have uh, differences in, in the canon. So there's the of course in in the majority Jewish world. Jewish, the Jewish world does not accept the New Testament, except those people like us, our family and others, thousands of us who are Jewish believers in Yeshua, Jesus the Messiah, who believe the New Testament. Um, and by the way, most of this controversy is over the books of the Old Testament. There is general consensus over the, the 27 books of the New. But with regard to the Old Testament, there the Protestant list of books is shorter than the Catholic list, which is shorter than the Eastern Orthodox list, and then there are some other traditions, the Coptic Church and so on, that also have some different views of what should be in what we call the Old Testament. We prefer, I prefer calling it the Hebrew Scriptures, which also gives away a bit of how I understand what the list of the Old Testament books should be. Um, I think a lot of us would would prefer to have some sort of objective source that says, and thus saith the Lord, these are the books of the Bible. But it turns out it, it's not that way. And it's interesting that for the New Testament believer, the one who believes that the Messiah has come, that is Jesus, we have more confidence over the books of the Old Testament, we should, than even the Jewish world because it's pretty clear that that Jesus and his followers accepted the by then fairly established tradition of what the Old Testament books were for the most part. So um, so beginning with the Jewish world, the Jewish world over time simply recognized certain books over other books and it just became accepted. And then Jesus and his movement emerged in the context, in a context whereby, for the most part, what we now have is the 39 books of the of of the Old Testament were accepted, and we have all sorts of hints of that in in the New Testament. And then the New Testament is an extension of the authority of Jesus and his his immediate followers. Who then wrote wrote down um, what he said, other exploits of his first generation followers and some of their writings, and then they were recognized uh, by uh, by the believing community 
fairly early on in the history of of uh, what became known as the church. I suspect that's still not a a completely satisfactory answer for for a lot of people. And I'm I don't know if I'm going to make it better or or worse for folks, but there's something when you begin to read these books and to see how even though the entire Bible um, was written over 1,600 years by 40 different authors. There's such a cohesion in the scriptures, even with the differences, even with the supposed contradictions. Um, there's such an incredible cohesion, and there's a dependability that we find that when you begin to live out that which the scripture teaches, that we find ourselves on a very firm foundation. And so it's a it's a combination of what was accepted over the centuries, Jesus' own affirmation of the Hebrew scripture tradition, and then the, the lived out um, evidence of the dependent of the dependability of these books. Somebody okay. could do a much better job than than me, but that's a bit of a taste. Well, I appreciate it, Dad. Um, Another question, we might come back to some of this, but maybe another question that as you're speaking, I, I want to ask you um, on the show, you're really trying to wrestle with uh, like how, thinking biblically. What is the what's the biblical way to think about something? And on the topic of the canon of scripture, this kind of leads some people to struggle with doubts and, and wrestling with their faith. Um, does the Bible speak? Uh, yeah. Does, does the Bible? And if so, what does it say? about how to handle our doubt? Well, doubt is normal. If, if, if we don't have hesitancy over some of the things that we claim, there's really a good chance that we're just parroting, which is like parodying, with the parroting, uh, what somebody's told us. And we simply recite what we've been told to recite. And there's a very good chance that we haven't even thought through the things that we claim to believe. In order for a truth to become a conviction, it has to become real in our lives. Now, you know, a person like yourself was raised in a home like ours that where you were hearing Bible from before you could even understand. Your mother and I were raised in homes where the Bible was not part of our lives. And so when we first uh, encountered the Bible, we were immediately being confronted about uh, confronted on how we had seen the world with how the scriptures see the world. And so there was a grappling with the truth of scripture um, in order to, to make it our own. Um, for those that have taken it more for granted, I would assume, so I'm not one of those people, but there are things in life that I take for granted. Um, and um, it's not until those things are challenged very often that we have even an opportunity to truly make it our own. And the process of going through just assuming something's true to being convinced that it's true uh, most often is not a, not, a, not a smooth road. And especially when you're dealing with something like the Bible that is, it's vast, um, not too vast that we can't apprehend it, but it's vast, it's deep, so it's, it's, so it's very profound and complex, and then it regularly challenges 
uh, what the, the general population thinks about many things, um, as well as challenge ourselves in terms of our own personal attitudes, morality, and so on. And so in, in order for any of that to, to be real, um, we need to be able to, to truly grapple with it. Now, as we grapple with scripture, if, you know, if we really give it a go and let it challenge us, let it disrupt our assumptions, and, and whether those assumptions are, seem to be good and godly and biblical, then we're reading the Bible and all of a sudden, wait a second, this sounds like it's contradicting what I was always told. Um, and then there maybe there's a, a, a small or bigger crisis that we're facing. Um, and then maybe we start to become uncertain about things that we thought were true. And so I imagine that's a good definition of doubt. First of all, if that's, if that's our struggle, God knows. He, we can't, we, he can't pretend to be certain about something and God knows we're actually struggling with it. And the only one who could truly help us in discovering truth and, and, make, and, and having it be real in our lives is God. And so uh, he knows the truth of our hearts. And the only way for us to resolve those issues is for us to be honest with those things and then bring them to God. And if God's truth is true, really true, it could hold up to scrutiny, our own scrutiny and the scrutiny of others. And it could be questioned. Um, I would just encourage people that when they go through periods of, of doubt, that they see it through, that they just not go from one set of assumptions to another set of assumptions. You know, somebody else just makes them feel better um, and just resolves that uncomfortable feeling of uncertainty. Uh, I don't think that's, I don't think that is um, absorbing truth in the way God wants us to. Uh, he wants to shine his light on our lives, on our thinking, on his word, and bring us to a place where we could be truly confident in it. And so you know, that's why I'm always asking people for questions. Um, I'm assuming there's a lot more doubt than people say. There's more things they feel insecure about, about themselves, about God's word, about the world they live in. And there's so many things that could be simply resolved um, on the basis of, of there being misunderstanding, like not understanding something as it should be understood or it'd be very easy to clear up. Um, and I think we hold in and hold hold in too many things and hold back from questioning. I, I wonder sometimes if we conflate doubt and cynicism, um, that there can be a very, um, uh, yeah, I don't know if people are familiar with um, C.S. Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia, but I think it's in, I think it's in Prince Caspian, um, where you have these dwarves who, um, they parade themselves as if they're critical thinkers. It might be in the um, last battle. Either one, there's dwarves yeah, in both. Yeah, I think it's last battle. Okay, the, they, you know they what I'm become, talking about. They, they, go, they go from doubt to cynicism. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, Dad, do you want to fill in the story? I think you're more familiar with it than I. Except I'm not sure why you're... So you want, do you want to talk about cynicism? Well, I, I think that we can conflate the two, that we can sometimes feel maybe like, well, I'm a critical thinker, but really I'm a cynic. Or um, we can feel shame about right. being so, cynicism, but it's actually Yeah, doubt. so the difference... So I think one way to illustrate the difference is, is think about when we hear news reports, and especially about politics. 
and we hear that so-and-so politician said something and we think um, we don't believe that it's a reflection of what they really think or what's really going on. We, we re react uh, out of a sense of they're trying to fool us. Well, doubt is there are certain facts and in the, something in the situation that we're going, hmm, that doesn't sound right to me. That's doubt. Cynicism is when, whether it's a particular news source or it's a particular politician, where all they need to do is say something and we immediately write them off. Yeah. So we, it's, it's like a it's like a prejudice, a prejudice of doubt that um, whatever they're saying, probably the opposite is true, as opposed I, I, to having good reason to doubt whether it, what we're hearing is accurate. Yeah, Daniel. Sorry, I, I just I wonder if if doubt um, part of what is surprisingly precious sometimes about doubt is a it's a, a sincere desire to believe the truth. And so when someone has is experiencing doubt, part of it can be that you so sincerely want to believe the truth that you're reckoning with. Is this really true? Like if it is, I will believe it. But 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 there's a, a desire for truth. Whereas yeah, cynicism is a, is might be more a fear of being taken in. That it's and yeah, so I think I think you're talking aspects. So fear okay. of being taken like some people in their cynicism, they've made up their minds. End of story. You know, all religious people are this. All politicians are that. Don't get me started on lawyers. This sort of thing, and it becomes a a closed psychological system within that person. They've made all the decisions already. They've decided they whether they were hurt, whether whatever the reason is, the judgment has been made. Uh, and um, there, there's no dealing with, with it. No one's going to convince them otherwise. Then you mentioned about doubt. Um, I have the impression that many people live in a state of this fuzzy doubt. You know, ag agnosticism, agnostic means comes from I don't know, not knowing. And a lot of people kind of feel comfortable. Um, they're not like those those fanatical religious folks over there. They're not those angry atheists over there. Maybe there's a God, maybe there's not a God. I'm not too sure. And they feel sort of comfortable in that place. And they don't really necessarily want to change their mind. They just want to stay there. They feel comfortable in this place of, eh, it could be this, could be that, I don't really know. Then there are the people that have had a sense of security in a particular belief system, whether it's belief in their in, in in some sort of religious expression or maybe in humanity and something happens and they become really, really shaken up. And then often again, there's hurt there and they're just in this place of uncertainty and they're not really in a condition to, um, to, to challenge that. And then that could often become cynicism when they, if they finally make up their mind that, what they used to think was something, no, it's it's not, and now there's there's no talking about it. Does that make sense? It does, it does. Um, I just, I, I, in my own experience as someone who sincerely loved the Lord, loved the scriptures, I loved all the stuff of God in a sense, and then I, I began as I was in my teens, and this might be more unique to those of us who've grown up in the faith, or not, I don't know, but 
Um, all of a sudden, my teens beginning to ask these questions of, wait, like, do I just believe this because my parents do? I really hope it's true, but what if it's not? And these types of things, why, why do I believe? Is there evidence? Um, and I think that there can be, um, I, I've, I was at a conference once and a speaker mentioned his own struggles with those types of questions he's wrestled through. And afterward, I went up to speak to him, but there was a lady in front of me in line and I got to listen to her berate him for how um, if he is saved in the Lord, that there's no room for doubt. And she just, she was going at him. And he said, wow. you, have you ever struggled with doubts in God? So well, I, yeah. Cause I, you I know, if you, if you doubt, then your prayers aren't answered. If, if, you know, you yeah. have to pray in, in, in faith, but I, I, I don't think, I think there's a real misunderstanding about what faith really is. Like there, I, I've been in situations where um, I've been asked to, you know, you know, agree with somebody in prayer or, or believe along with them. And if you really believe, and it's like, it's some, I don't know what they really think faith is as if it's, it's a switch that you could turn on and, and become committed to not doubting, you know, I believe, I believe, I believe. I, I just don't think it works that way. And, and as you know, we've talked so often that, that belief, biblically speaking, is trust. It's not a state of mind. It's, it's, it's a, it's like, it's a, a posture of life. It's, a, it's an expression of loyalty unto something. And, uh, you know, we have that amazing story of, of the man um, who said to the Lord, I, I don't want to, I'd be quite the wrong one, but, but I just want to get to the main point. Um, uh, he was asking for healing for, I think, his son or something. And it was, I, and the Lord says, anything's possible to him who believes. And he yeah. says to him, I believe, help me with my unbelief. Mm -hmm. Well, what's, the, what is that? Mm -hmm. to, if, if belief is this total uh, state of being convinced with no sense of, of insecurity and uncertainty, then that, that wouldn't be in the Bible. But there is this sense of you are our, I know you're my only hope. I'm scared. I have some uncertainty, but I, yet I still turn to you, O oh Lord. And, and, and I'm glad we got here. Let's remember that uh, faith slash trust versus doubt is primarily relational. It's not, it's not a mental thing. It's not, it's not about how much we, you know, it's not an educational thing. It's, it's a hard thing of, of a reliance upon the Messiah for everything. And so even when we're uncertain, we could come to him in faith, in trust, entrusting ourselves to him that he will carry us through. Yeah, I, I wonder, uh, just a couple of weeks before my wedding in 2019, um, which is my only wedding. Um, I I texted my brother Josh just saying, um, hey, like I I I really love Alexandra and I want to marry her, but I'm also feeling like I'm almost having shortness of breath about about getting married. And I I is it I don't know if this counts as cold feet or what, but I'm just in this this place of I can't remember how I described it. Yeah, how many guys out there felt the same way? Put up your hand. But my brother, my brother was supposed to. Be, he called me up. This is my dad's son. He called me up <laughs> and because uh, he's my dad. And uh, he, my so Josh called me and said, Daniel, um, you are taking seriously the weight of committing yourself to uh, this woman. 
Alexandra, like you are, is that I'm actually happy to hear that you're not just like, just like naively, just da, 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 like going into a wedding, but you're, 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 you're actually looking straight in the face, uh, the reality of, of this is huge. And I, and I think that if it's a big thing to, when like entrust yourself and bind yourself to another human being, it's an even, it's an even greater decision that we make as people entrusting ourselves to God. And so I think that sometimes if we feel the, the reality of, of, of doubt or of feeling some overwhelmed and insecurity of it might be an indication of those who are stepping beyond their comfort zone with the Lord um, into trust and walking with them. It's, it's, a, it's, it's scary when it's real. Yeah. And also to think the expectation that we're putting on ourselves that we think we're supposed to live life with this sense of of personal assuredness in everything we think and do. Um, maybe some people feel that way. I could challenge that a little bit. I wonder if some people have learned to conduct themselves with confidence and they just don't go through the, the questioning. And which is fine, you, you know, uh, because God takes care of his children and we don't have to fret over every single decision and every single fact of, of faith and truth and, and, and all the rest. And some of us others are just, um, we're thinking about more things most of the time and yeah. there's just more things to question. And, and, and some of this is, it's all to say, some of this is just temperament. And some people are the more questioning type. Some people are more the um, just more insecure naturally. Mm. Um, and are you trying to stop your computer from bouncing? And because, yeah, so I wouldn't say this to all my guests, but I'll say it's my guest host. So you're every now and then you're doing something, your computer's bouncing. In order for me to Google something, my computer's <laughs> you're, you're Googling while we're talking. Okay, let's think biblically about Googling. <laughs> Sometimes in order to prepare a good question, I maybe need to find a quote. Yeah, maybe you do. That's great. And it's a good thing your hands are below the screen because it would look really <laughs> funny if you're doing this. Don't let me interrupt, Dad, please. What were we talking about? Thinking biblically about doubt. <laughs> are you sure? Nice. Thank you. Yeah, I, I think I was, basically, I was basically done. Some of this is a temperament thing. And so those of us that struggle more, let's remember, um, we're talking relationship with God through Yeshua more than anything, and he can carry us through. And so let's just be honest. And 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 we should pray that we don't become cynical. I think cynic, cynicism is a poison. Um, and to think that we come to a place where, oh, I can't listen to when that person talks because he or she um, and maybe you're thinking right now of people that you feel justified in doing that. I think we need to um, keep an open heart to them. Yeshua taught in the Sermon on the Mount, we're supposed to love our enemies. And that doesn't mean that we need to hang out with them. But I think that demands a certain kind of open heartness that um, uh, cancels out or any better, better way to say that cynicism. Beware of cynicism. Before we move on to some other questions I have for you, Dad, I'd love, can you point to an Old Testament example of someone who is a, yeah, a follower of God who is themselves wrestling with doubt? Read the Psalms. Read Job. Read the Bible. 
there's an honesty in the Bible that somehow seems to get filtered out. Um, so, you know, Gideon. You know, Gideon's an interesting one. Uh, so Gideon is from the book of Judges. And in the book of Judges, we see how the people of Israel over a 400-year period approximately went through this cycle of turning away from God. They'd be oppressed by foreign enemies. They'd cry out to God. God would send a special deliverer uh, um, called a judge. It was not a, like a court judge, but he, uh, he was a divinely inspired military leader, he or she, who would uh, lead the people to victory and restore true faith and for a time. And Gideon was living during the time of uh, the people were oppressed by this another people group called the Midianites. And he was terrified. He was threshing grain um, in, a, in a hidden place. And the angel of the Lord comes to him and calls him mighty man of valor, which is a little bit of a joke, except for God understood something about him that Gideon himself didn't understand, that he would be able to courageously lead his people. But he was afraid very afraid and some of you are aware of the the um prayer uh the prayer device called um um putting out a fleece and that comes from the story of gideon where gideon was told very clearly by god what to do and yet he twice put out a woolen thing a fleece and and asked that in one time that the ground would be wet and the fleece would be dry and the next day the vice versa whichever order that was and it happened both times so if this happens then you you're really saying this to me and so then people look at that story and go oh when you're unsure about something why don't you put out a fleece but in gideon's case he wasn't unsure he was sure that god spoke to him god spoke to him in ways that most of us will never experience and yet he was scared he had personal doubt more doubt in himself than in god and yet god didn't disqualify him because he turned to this tactic of trying to confirm what god was saying even though god told him already you know it somebody else doing the same thing maybe the prophet would come and say what are you doing go do what god already told you to do and again we see again that there's a relational dynamic in all these stories that, that God wasn't put out by Gideon. God wasn't put out by Moses saying no, 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 no at the burning bush about going to, to Pharaoh um, and, and so on. And, we, and God wasn't put out by Job really giving it to him uh, for the, the, the state that he was in. And, and on it goes. Abraham is praised for being um, a man of faith. And yet Abraham uh, and Sarah, Sarah, both doubt God about um, Isaac clearly. Like, and it, it has. Uh, I wouldn't say. Well, I, yeah, I, I, I don't think so. I was just looking at that because of where we are in the the weekly readings in the year that that I follow. Um, yeah, that's right. Last week's Torah bites, um, the one from last week, I reposted a one that I had done in the past. Um, I called it revelatory reactions. Because when God appears separately, no, when he appears to Abraham and Sarah about the coming child in their old age, they both laugh. And Isaac, as many people know, means he laughs and it's reminiscent of that. But it seems when Abraham laughed, it was this 
overwhelming unusualness of the situation. Well, when Sarah laughed, she was incredulous. She really didn't wow. believe it. it you'll have to my look thing, at it again. My thing is so much about Abraham's laugh as the fact that he then goes on and does the plot, uh, which gives birth to Ishmael. Uh, I don't think that, that, that those decisions... The laughing's are after. The laughing is after. Ishmael's yeah, but, before. But what I'm saying is... Yes. The, the situation where he goes ahead and okay. goes about things his own way instead of trusting God uh, seems like that's not based in faith. Well, yeah, well, the Ishmael one's also interesting because um, God said he would have a child. They were not having a child. Sarah, her name is Sarah, Sarai at the time, uh, comes up with this idea customary of their day of, of like a surrogate motherhood thing with their her maidservant, Hagar. And Abraham goes along with it. And God doesn't say anything until after Ishmael's born. Um, Abraham, who is called a man of faith, however, more than once lied. Some people call it a half lie or a white lie uh, with regard to his relationship to his wife. Uh, he was actually, she was actually his half sister, but everywhere they went, she promised him that she would not, um, not let people know that she was actually her, she was actually his wife. Um, Right? Did I say that right? Uh, yes. Yes, because Abraham was afraid that since she was so beautiful, even when she was older, she was so beautiful that she would be taken, which she was. Um, and so he, so people look at that and go, well, what kind of man of faith is he really if he's acting out of fear like that? But I, his his life of faith is one that he matures in as the years go by. And it shows us that God's not looking for some sort of spiritual perfection from people, but that we can, in a sense, bungle about. As long as we're bungling about in God's direction, we're open to his correction. He's not expecting us to live the life of faith, trust, perfectly. It's it's with all sorts of issues. And again, other people that I've mentioned um, have had all sorts of struggles with with themselves, with others, with God in life. And that's okay. Yeah. Because that's real. Now, if someone does find themselves plagued with certain questions, uh, just a sense of, um, yeah, really, like, on the one hand, they're trying to live and be a Christian, a believer in Yeshua, Jesus, and yet they find themselves just kind of plagued, as I have had in my, my life of seasons, uh, just played with that. But what if he's not real? What if it's not true? Um, wh- what should we do about those? That? Yeah. Well, everybody's different. You know, you you have your own story about your significant doubts. You mentioned earlier about when, when, when people are teenagers, and for many many people, especially those growing up in a home that has um, a high level of faith, and and you grow up with assumptions. As you approach your latter teens and you're becoming an adult, uh, you're beginning to become more of an independent person and no longer are you simply assuming that whatever your parents said is, is how the world works. And so it's most common to go through a crisis of what do I really think about life, not just God. And so you went through some of that 
and resolved it in a or God resolved it, however you want to put it, in 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 a certain way. I've had doubts and struggles, um, and every situation has been has been different. I don't understand with myself. Most of my doubts have been over. Can I really handle this situation? Will I be okay? Um, I know in the long run, because we expect the resurrection and be with God forever, it's going to be okay. But in the here and now, I've tended to get freaked out about my life situations and I've struggled with depression and despair. A lot of people think that, you know, how can you have... How can you be despairing and be a believer? Yeah, I wonder that too. But God has seen me through. God has come through for me in all sorts of different ways through the years. Um, And so there's no formula for this. If God is real and we are his children, then we commit ourselves to him and look to him to come through for us. It's not, we're not called to climb the mountain to God uh, there's that wonderful story when um, Yeshua meets Nathaniel in the early part of the Gospel of John, and he says that he will see the uh, the angels of heaven go- going up and down on the Son of Man, which is a an allusion back to Jacob, where Jacob, when he was running for his life, heading back to Mesopotamia for a time, he had a vision in this place that uh, would become Bethel. Um, the town, not the church, um, that uh, he saw this ladder of angels going up and down. And it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's an illustration, a powerful image that God comes down to us. He doesn't call us to climb the heavenly ladder and, and work our way to him. He has graciously availed himself to us and by Yeshua using that image, he's saying, you know, he's that ladder. And he's not he's not there for us to climb. He's there for heaven's resources to climb up and down on our behalf. We are not alone in this. Yeah. I, I For any, maybe any, maybe some people are watching with kids or maybe they have kids and they are watching. Um, it was a, such an important moment when I went to my dad, I was probably 15 or 16. I said, dad, I, I feel like I, I love God, but I'm really struggling to believe whether or not he's real uh, or just my imaginary friend. And my dad, uh, there's a lot of parents who would have tried to um, kind of panic. Oh, my kid is, he's been such a good kid. He's been so involved in the church and, and maybe even respond with that. Hey, Daniel, no, like that does not real. I know you're such a strong Christian and this and this. And instead my dad just, he, he, he was so gentle in his response and just said, Daniel, if this is true, um, you can question it. If it's true, you can cross-examine it and it can withstand the weight of questions. Uh, you only want to believe this if it's true. So you can lean into these questions and ask them. And because he responded in that gentle, inviting way without panic, um, I was able to continue to explore the questions and doubts I had um, in relationship with my dad. I think that if, if when when parents or when teachers, pastors, um, when when we kind of pa- panic about questions and doubts and try to almost just wash it away, um, those questions will still be there. It's just they're going to take the kid further away and they'll explore it 
away out of relationships. So it was just, it was a real privilege. I, I hated the way that my mind just incessantly come up with fresh questions and doubts. And so it was a much longer process than I wanted, but I was able to walk that through with my dad till eventually I was in a place where I was able to be so much more comfortable and confident in my faith. Um, and in that, I felt like my dad embodied Yeshua, Jesus, when his disciple Thomas is expressing doubt. It almost sounds like, to me, it almost sounds like he's crossing into cynicism. But even there, Yeshua invites him closer to himself instead of pushing him away, invites him to look at the evidence instead of pushing him away. And that's a great biblical template for how to think about doubt. Yeah, there's this uh, misnomer that um, the ancient peoples, you know, all the Bible people that that uh, they believed in all these fanciful, uh, uh, miraculous things, and we know better. We're science-oriented, and and uh, you know, we we doubt all those things. Well, they doubted those things too. They didn't. When when Yeshua said he was going to rise from the dead, they didn't. They didn't get it. It didn't theologically it didn't make sense because while they believed in a future resurrection, the idea that this one man, the Messiah, would rise before the general resurrection in the future was not on their grid at all. Many Jewish people uh, didn't believe, rejected the notion of of the resurrection. They knew that dead people didn't come back to life, just like we know that, and so they had to be convinced. And the New Testament talks about how he provided many convincing proofs. And so God knows when we need uh, good evidence for things. And he's filled the world and he's filled his word with good evidence that can be challenged. Um, and a, a, lot, a, lot of, a, a lot of reasons for lingering doubt, lingering, could I say, life, changing doubt um, is often because we don't want to face the truth. I know how dare I say that, but I could say confidently from my understanding of scripture and knowing God all these years that um, if we would really give him the time of day and let him speak to us, he will. We may not like what he has to say and and what, um, what truth really is, but if we're committed to accepting truth on its own terms, then God will reveal to us what we need to know. Yeah. Dad, I'm, I've never thought about this before, uh, what you said, and I'm going to carry that with me, about how much we tend to think the ancients were just these naive, believing every myth. And yet, like you said, read through the Psalms and you see so much doubt and questioning and cross-examining God. And there's so much of that. And not just in the Psalms, but throughout the Old and New Testament. And so it really is a different perspective when you read the ancients in their own words and see how they are wanting evidence. They're wanting proof. They're they're thinking critically. And God comes through for them, too. Right. Um, before, I just I throw, Let me throw in there. That's what I, um, you think of someone like David. Many people think that if, oh, if I would have um, experiences like David, then I would never doubt again. It's the same thing with uh, Yeshua, who who did miracles. Oh, if if I would receive a healing, if I was a blind man that I could now see, I would never doubt again. I would be this kind of like, we wouldn't say this, the perfect believer. And then David writes a psalm. 
How long, O Lord, will you forsake me forever? When God had given him promise after promise, proved, proved himself to him time and time again, and yet the circumstances of his life were such, and wherever he was at at that time, he was being, um, he was crumbling over the pressure of life. So please, folks, don't, don't be so hard on yourself. Bring your issues, bring your struggles to God, and he will come through for you. Uh, you'll have to can you remind me of this next week daniel when i need to hear it again sure maybe even later today when we debrief <laughs> right. um that uh just i i know this has come up in different angles different weeks but here is we're wrestling with um like part of why doubt matters is because the truth matters like it really does matter that we wrestle through we can trust god we can trust his word the bible um, you have dedicated a lot of your life, not just this podcast, but your life to the question of how do we think biblically about the world? Um, my question to you before we wrap up is, like, why does that question matter so much to you? Well, truth is reality. And, you know, it's kind of funny, like, so what? And many people have decided we've already talked about agnostics they don't think they can know as long as i'm experiencing enough comfort um i've have enough relationships to satisfy good relationships to satisfy myself then i could just do whatever it doesn't really matter um but we were not designed for that. Now, I didn't grow up knowing this. And even once I became a believer, it took me a while to understand that human beings were put on earth for a purpose. And primarily it's to represent the almighty God and to be his, his caretakers of this incredible planet that, that he made. And so we have been designed on purpose and for a purpose and the only way to discover what our purpose is is to connect with god's truth in general and then with his truth for each one of us personally and to discover why in the world are we here and we we're never going to answer that question 100 percent, but to have an understanding of of the gifts and the talents that he's given each one of us what what are our responsibilities on this earth we've been given this opportunity to serve him and um and it's a great tragedy to um can't think of the word right now to 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 miss or to ignore that which each one of us is called to do now i, I could see with somebody somebody who might think this is all nonsense, then it's nonsense. It doesn't matter to them. Um, but it's each person to some extent, and I don't want to create a, a picture of what that might look like, but it's as if each one of us has been born into great nobility, great royalty, and yet we we live our lives as as 
as paupers, as 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 nothings, as and actually slaves to our own desires and our and other people's expectations. When really we've been born to be set free unto the service of the King, and then not to do that in any old way, but to do that as in relationship to an intimate an intimate relationship with that King personally. Well said, well said. Dad, as you're speaking and, and answering the question of like why thinking biblically matters so much to you, why truth matters so much to you, I think that um, one of the, as I've observed my dad's life, I'd say one of the things I've noticed about him is that I would say that, well, very honest about his frailties and his own struggles, that his life is that kind of the anthem of my, I would say the anthem of my dad's life, the anthem of your life, dad, is that moment where um, I think it's John 6, the Gospel of John, chapter six, where Yeshua says some some tough stuff, and people are leaving him. And Yeshua says to uh, Peter and the disciples, "Are you going to leave too?" And Peter's response is, "Where else can we go? You alone have the words of life." Yeah. And I see that as my dad's passion, conviction. I like to think my own as well. Um, that the reason it matters so much for us to seek to think biblically about life is because in in the, in the Bible we encounter God's words of life. Uh, for life and that there's so many other sources that we can go to for forming how we think about the world. I enjoy a lot of TED Talks, there's textbooks, there's psychology, there's all the sorts of different places, literature, all these places to go and learn how to think about the world. The news teaches us tons about how the those uh, companies want us to think about the world, but it is in the Bible that we get to think about life in a, the place of life. If that makes sense. Yeah. Have you seen uh, Amazon's new ads? No. Well, I I'm sure I have, but I don't recall them. Yeah. So the latest thing I'm not going to quote it properly. Sorry, Amazon. I buy lots of stuff from you. Other people buy a lot more. Uh, but the latest thing is like whatever your need might be, just buy something. Yeah. And that's actually been around. That idea has been around for a long time. And many of us practice that, that we, for some people, it's a prescription uh, for depression. Just go buy the new outfit or, 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 you know, if only I had the the, the latest phone or something and the, the status symbols and all the rest. And, you know, it's, so it's kind of funny that, you know, people might um, make fun of us because, you know, we believe in, in God and, 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 and Jesus and, and the Bible. And yet other people believe in stuff as if that's what life is all about, um, or getting the promotion, or or even scoring that goal and w- winning that trophy or something, as if that's the thing that's gonna gonna really make it for us. Which is kind of interesting because there's you know while some people might kind of uh, slough off the question that you asked, like why is why is truth so important, and yet people are so committed to the way they see the world, and to think that it then doesn't matter to them whether they're actually seeing the world in the way that it is, rather than something of their own or somebody else's imagination. You know, uh, you know, I, 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 as you mentioned, I think we're going to be wrapping up. One of the things that's been coming out of this, and it's been really, I've, I, I hope other people have loved this conversation as much as I have, because uh, this was spontaneous. I did lead this with Daniel to to come up, and I, and I, I appreciate that we've gone down this road of of doubt and truth. Um, I wonder if some people are unnecessarily suffering from some of these struggles because some of us are more head and some of us are more heart 
you know, the more hard people, it's all about emotions and it's about how they're made to feel and how they feel in, in certain, uh, you know, in their spiritual experiences. And other people, it's all about the facts and figures and, and some of that thing. And it's actually both. Life is life is made up of of objective things and realities, facts, truths, but at its core, there's this personal relationship aspect. Um, and I even wonder if there's some people that have had emotional experiences of God, but have they actually heart connected with the Lord? And that's something that's really hard to recover from, if I may say it that way, that when we really know him and we know that that he has truly rescued us, then like what the what the disciples said, where else can we go? We know what you've done for us. We don't understand what you're saying. We don't understand what's going on. And he, he, going back to, to David's word, how long, O oh Lord, it's it it's to to complain like that is a sign of trust because he's going to God to help him with something that he thinks is impossible to get out of. And so yeah. there's, again, that, that very personal heart connection. That as you speak, I think of Yeshua, Jesus, when he's uh, on, some might say, the biggest night of his life, uh, just before he's going to end up being caught to be crucified. Um, and he's actually asking the, the Father, uh, would you take this cup for me? Yeah. And I, I just don't know that we spend enough time thinking through the fact that Jesus, Yeshua, uh, that he actually was at praying and asking for the the crucifixion to not happen. He, yeah. And we, we can focus on how for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. But there was, there was a moment, maybe even a couple moments, where he's asking, um, can, is there another way? In that sense, I I, uh, I I don't want to be caught saying that Yeshua doubted, but it almost seems in the moment he like a, a doubting of the plan. Like, can can there be another way? Um, he didn't. And, and, he didn't and so, want... he, so so in that he's 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 asking that there might be another way, and at the same time, as he says that, he's then able to say, he eventually that same evening is saying, "Into your hands I commit myself." So he's there's this. Uh, wrestling with it and yet even so i'm going to trust you and it's, yeah, it's highly relational and he said um but not my will but your your will be done but there's a genuineness to him saying to his heavenly father i don't want to do this can we do it differently please yeah. um and in agony and he was and he felt so alone and his disciples who he wanted to keep watch with him are falling asleep and it was so intense, um, yeah. but it was so real. And and back again, like whatever, whatever our concern might be, whatever our fear, whatever our question, there's nothing that God can't handle. Um, I actually, I'm I'm in the middle. You know, I, I read have some heavy stuff, and then I like to read. Um, I like to read fiction, and um, so I'm reading a you know a, a Christian fiction book right now, and. Uh, there's a scene where this main character is struggling. Uh, he was his his first wife had tragically died, and their son. And now you might be able to figure out what book this is if anybody else knows it. Uh, and now his uh, new wife and adopted son. This new wife had an accident, and she's on the verge of maybe dying. And his pastor comes and and visits uh, him in the hospital at the beginning of 
this tragedy while she's being operated on and all the rest. And the pastor says to him, like he, so the, the guy is struggling, he's terrified, he's, he's upset, and the pastor basically tells him, you j- just tell me, don't, I, don't take it out on God, I can take it. And I'm thinking, no! Yeah, like, I just, like he's I, a fictional I, pastor, but what kind of pastor are you? Bring him to God and give him permission to have it out with God, because yeah. God not only can handle it, but He's the only one that has the answers. Yeah, I just if if anyone's going through tough stuff, um, just brutal things, or even stuff that you like, this isn't even hard yet. I feel shattered. Um, the answer to the question how how are you doing doesn't have to be I'm blessed. We don't have to be stoic and brave about it. We can bravely, it's very brave to take our, our vulnerable, honest answers to God and to people saying, I actually feel shattered. I feel afraid. I know God's never let me down, but I definitely feel like he is going to right now. And, and God can just handle that, those types of, um, and in one sense, I feel like we've talked about the doubting of the existence of God. That's what I've struggled a lot with my in my life. But there's also doubting, like we know he's real, but we doubt that he is good. And God can just handle all of that honesty. Yeah, we were part of a a fellowship many years ago where when you walked in, when somebody said, how are you? There was an expectation you're really going to tell them. And then as that interaction would take place, it wouldn't be too long before you'd be praying together. Now, to me, that's an ideal. I've learned since then that not everybody can handle that. And so when a lot of people say, how are you? They don't really want to know. And you might want to say, do you really want to know? And some people are taken by surprise by that. So you have to find the right people to uh, to be able to share those things with. But let's remember, God is always the right person. Yeah, exactly. Um, well, hey, we should be wrapping up. Dad, if people have questions, they want to ask you some of their own struggle with doubts or thinking questions they want to think biblically about, uh, how can they connect with you? Well, of course, you can put comments in the description of the, whether you're listening to the audio version or on youtube you can put your comments in not in the, i say that the description in the comment section uh, or you can email me at comments at thinkingbiblically.org sweet well thanks dad thanks so much for your time wrestling through these questions about thinking biblically about doubt and thank and you for doing this with me daniel's always a delight that i love you and i love getting a partner with you in any way yeah so so everyone uh that's it again special thanks to daniel and let me just uh sign off and say this is alan gilman with thinking biblically see you next time Mm